Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. As Christians, we are called to a life of faith. But where and how does that faith begin? Today, we'll look at the life of Abraham and see how his life of faith started by answering the call of God. part one of Cheryl's message titled, It Begins with a Call. So we're all called to a life of faith, but the life of faith begins with a call, begins with a call. But when people hear the phrase, a life of faith, they've got some different reactions to it. Some people romanticize it. Like, only say positive things, don't say anything negative. And they feel that if you're positive about everything, that's what the life of faith means. You you never see problems. You only see roses, not the thorns. You are so close to sinless perfection. You don't make mistakes. Everything, you know, you're just so perfect. And, you know, from my example, you know that's not true. You never have a doubt. You know, God's always going to come through. You never have perplexities about God's plan. Like, why did I have to turn here? No, 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 no. Others think that a life of faith means immediate alleviation of all trials or avoidance. Yeah, I love it. Because some of you are laughing because you're like, I know that's not true. (laughs) But that's what some people think. It means that, oh, immediately there's, things should happen. It means that avoidance or an answer to all your ailments. You know why you've gone through everything and what God's purposes are. Or alleviation of all your problems. In other words, they think the life of faith means a trouble-free, trial-free, tragedy-free life. And, and there's no such thing on earth. <laughs> no such thing on earth. Now, the other extreme are those who walk in faith or think that a life of faith means obedience without discussion. Like we never talk to God about anything. You know, we just like, whatever, Lord, whatever, Lord, whatever. Like we never say, what do, what's going on here? What are you doing? They think it's questions without answers, sacrifice without reward, all about deprivation and desolation and self-denial. But that's Not right. None of those extremes is right. And I don't know about you, but I'm one of those show me type of people. You can be telling me everything. I'm like, no, no, no. Show me. Show me. What what does this look like? Give me a picture. When I get instructions, I read them, but I like the diagrams. I love the diagrams or the pictures. Okay, so we're talking about that part. Or, you know, I like the pictures on the front of the box where you go, okay, this is what it looks like. And I see that's there. Puzzles. Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the picture on the front of the box? 
It's like, can you please tell me what this is going to look like when I finish? I love pictures. And I love videos. Uh, I love YouTube. I love that it tells me how to clean out my coffee maker. I love it. I've watched it like five times because I forget every time. Like, wait, what do I do again with this coffee maker? No, it's on YouTube. Somebody's making a lot of money on that one because now they've got advertisements. So I know. I know that they've gotten an audience. Or how to get rid of fruit flies, which I've tried every video. And so far, it's not working. You wouldn't believe how many vinegar traps I have in my kitchen right now, or zappets. I got the zappets. You know, Brian's like, okay, maybe if we turn out all the lights. So zappet is the only light those fruit flies can see. I don't know. We've got some fruit flies that like, you're not fooling me. I'm not going into that vinegar with the soap. (laughs) I don't know. I keep saying, Lord, the Israelites did not get the curses of the Egyptians. And I know flies were part of that curse. Gnats, will you get rid of them? I just keep, you know. Please, Lord. But Abram, who becomes Abraham, he's our how-to. He's our YouTube video on the life of faith. In the New Testament, Paul holds up Abraham again and again in um, Romans and in Galatians. And then he's held up again in Hebrews as a man of faith, as one to emulate if you want to live a life of faith. Through the events of Abraham's life, we get to watch a life of faith in motion from the call to the fulfillment. And what we see is that the walk of faith begins with a call. It begins with a call. Remember Peter, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel? How did their life of faith with Jesus begin? It began with Jesus calling, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that life of faith for those disciples did not start until they answered, till they followed that call. So the life of faith hinges on whether we answer that first call. If the call of God is not answered, there will be no walk of faith. If the voice is ignored, neglected, refused, then the life of faith is never initiated. It can never run, never travel, and never can reach its God-ordained purposes, blessings, or destination. Have you ever had the phone ring, and you look at the person on the phone, and you're like, should I answer it or should I not? You know, it's Brian. What is he going to require of me? What is he going to say he wants for dinner? Because I already started dinner. Or who is he going to bring home for dinner? You know, you're like, "Uh, do I answer it or do I? Or I have those people like, that's a four-hour conversation right there. I love them, but that's a four-hour conversation. That's a no-way-off-the-phone conversation. I have a certain relative. I love him. I love him. But you answer that phone. And there's, there's no guarantee you'll get to go to bed that night. <laughs> but it begins by answering the call of God. And I'll tell you, you're looking at that God. That's a lifetime call. That's going to be like forever till death brings us together, really. And I see his face. This is the, this is the call that is waiting to be answered. 
We're told in Genesis 12, 1, the Lord had said to Abram. I, I, I thought about that, had said. So it's, it's this hanging call, so to speak. It's been there. How did it come? Was it this deep impression that he kept feeling this impression? God wants me. God wants me. And, and he felt this overwhelming word of God coming to him. Had it come over and over again? Had it come earlier, but he waited? And then it came again? But he doesn't answer it till he's 75 years old. I think of Moses in Exodus 3. Verse 3, there's a burning bush. And one day Moses says, you know what? I'm going to turn aside now and see what this burning bush is all about. How many times had Noah... Noah had an ark. How many times did Moses walk past that burning bush? How many times? Until one day he turned aside. And it was when he turned aside that he heard the call of God. It was when he turned aside that he heard his name being called by God. And it was then that he realized that God had a destiny, a purpose, and a power for him. Samuel, as a little boy, is is in his bed And he hears a voice saying, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to the old prophet Eli and he says, yes, yes, you called me. Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back. He lays down. He hears, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up. He goes back to Eli. You did call me. It was so clear I heard my name. But this time the old prophet perceives and he says, you know what? Let's see if that's the Lord. Go back to the same place you were. Lie down, and if it comes to you again, say, yes, Lord, your servant hears. Samuel did that. He went right back to where he was. He lay down, and the voice came and said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, yes, Lord, your servant hears. Oh, that's the response. That's the response God wants. This morning, we're going to be talking about the call to faith, the call that comes first to the life of faith. And we're going to see three things about the life, the call to the life of faith. One, we're going to see the cost or requirements to the life, to the call. Next, we're going to see the challenges. And thirdly, we're going to see the rewards. And I'm going to do it a little differently. We're going to go 12, 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, 12, 13, 14. So I'm going to be taking you through each of the chapters with each of the properties of the call. So first of all, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God speaks and he says to Abraham, get out of your country from your kindred, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So first we see the cost, the cost. Get out from your country. Now, we don't realize today how costly this was, but God was calling him to leave all security. Abram 
had dwelt in houses. And now he's going to exchange a house for a tent. Yeah, this is worse than exchanging your house for a mobile home or a motor home. This means a tent. Instead of being, you know, insulated by stones and mortar and brick, you're going to have just a wall of skin between you and the atmosphere. It's, you're no longer going to be isolated and insulated from the insects and the critters. You're going to be close to nature. Can you tell I don't like camping? (laughs) Is it showing? He's going to leave his native language to a place that will speak a different dialect. And he's going to leave familiarity. You know, he knows where the roads go. He knows the fastest way from Ur to Haran. And he's going to leave all that. And he's not going to know the road system. He's not going to know the grid. He's not going to know the topography. But it also means travel. It it means packing. And the travel is not by car. It's not by plane. It's not by boat. It means by foot with tents and animals and pots and pans and other assorted necessities of camping. Camping. Some of you will be like, I love camping. More power to you. (laughs) You know, opposites attract. Who knows? It means a new identity. Abram had been an Aramean. An Aramean. That had been his identity. That had been his people. Um, an Aramean would be like a modern um, Chaldean Iraqi. Today, it's not much different. You know, you're, re- you're identified by the state you live in. Oh, I'm a Californian. I, I remember when my daughter was engaged and everybody would say, my eldest daughter, they say, uh, what's your husband? Where's he from? I said, oh, he's a Floridian. And they're, they literally said, what country is that? That's what happens when you live in England. It's Florida. He was from Florida. But we identify often with the place we were born or the people we live with. When I was in Jordan, I remember one of our servers came up and he said, oh, I'm from the clan of, you know, Abu Dhabi. And we are 150,000 strong. And in the Middle East, there's a very strong sense of identification with your family. That is your name. That is your reputation. And you don't want to do anything to shame or dishonor your tribe and, you know, your father's house. So God says, I want you to leave your kindred and your father's house. This was leaving the security of family. As we said, it was identity. But it was also your army. It was your protection. You know, you, you hurt me, you're going to have to deal with my brothers and my cousins and my second cousins and my third cousins. You're, 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 there's an army behind me. And now Abram is going out alone. Alone. And not only is he going out alone, he's going out at 75 with Sarah and his nephew. I mean, that's vulnerability. 
It meant leaving your inheritance, which would have been your income, your investments, your social security of those days. It meant leaving those you felt responsible for. Like, you know, Abram had already lost a brother. He should be taking care of his father. And then it meant going to unknown, to a land I will show you. It meant Abram was leaving for a destiny he didn't know. God would be his GPS. And he had no guidebooks telling him how to pack, what to expect, the weather or the climate or the topography. Before we ever went any place, my mother would buy a book about that place. In fact, the first time we went to Hawaii, she did that book and said, Chuck, there's a place that's supposed to have the best guava cake in the world. And my mom, like my daughter, they, they do those guidebooks to find bakeries. It's just who they are. I'm just along for the ride. I can't help it if they take me to a bakery. In chapter 13, we realize that the cost meant separation. Abram had to separate from his nephew Lot. Lot probably hoped to be Abram's heir, but now he doesn't need Abram because he's got his own money. So he separates from Abram. Abram probably thought that Lot would get everything. He was very close to his nephew. His nephew was willing to go with him when he answered the call of God. But now it means a change of plan, a change of lifestyle. And that will be the cost of the call. It will require separations and changes of plan and changes of even lifestyle. It meant that Abram would miss his nephew's company, his nephew's support, and his nephew's fellowship. In chapter 13, we also see that the call means letting God choose your inheritance for you, rather than like Lot, who chose for himself, verse 11, chapter 13, the plain of Jordan. Abram didn't get the first choice. He got the second choice, cost. Chapter 14, we realize that the call will mean driving out the oppressors, driving out the possessors. Abram and his 318 trained servants were called to go against an aggressive army of four kings. So the call of God is not without cost. I was watching an interview with Rosario Butterfield, and she used to be a professor at Syracuse University in New York, and she was um, she had tenure. She had just a lot of um, clout at this college, and she taught on feminism, and that was her specialty. And she owned a home with her lesbian partner, and she would write just these snarky um, articles for the newspaper and different papers on the church and against Christians. And she would get different responses. And she said she had two piles, the mean pile and the supportive pile. And she just would place it. And then she got a letter from a pastor and she didn't know what pile to put it in because it wasn't mean and it wasn't supportive. It was neither. It was a challenge. Would you just be willing to talk? Um, Your ideas are well thought out, but I think that there's more 
conversation and discussion that should take place. So she decided to take this pastor up on it, sit on her desk for a while. And she called him up. He invited her to dinner at his house with his wife and family. And an improbable friendship developed. And she would just once a week go over with her partner and they would eat with this pastor. And he would talk about the word of God and he would just have conversations with them and he would listen. And he would challenge her in the most loving, gracious way. And then one week he challenged her to come to church. And she talked about sitting outside of her car, parking as far away from the church as she could, but still having it in sight, not in the church parking lot. And about the whole debate and arguing with herself if she should go in. And finally, she went into the church and she just thought there was going to be something insulting, something that she could get angry about and say, see, I knew it. But there was nothing. And all the congregants were so kind and so loving to her. So she went the next week and she went the next week. And she became convinced that Jesus was real and he was the son of God. She knew it. But she also recognized that there would be a cost. She knew that this would cost her her career. She knew it because she couldn't teach the things she was teaching. She knew it would cost her her lover. And she felt like this was the love of her life. And she knew it would cost this relationship. Thirdly, she knew it would cost her possessions because they owned everything together. But she felt the call of God so strongly. And she said that she got angry, angry that it would cost her something, that it wasn't just free, that it was going to cost her. And and she looked at the people at the church. She said, they didn't have to pay anything to be here, but I'm going to have to pay everything. So after church, she went up and she said, what did it cost you to walk with Jesus to a man? And he said, oh, it cost me my marriage. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. She walked to somebody else. What did it cost you to be here? And they said, oh, it cost me my job. They went to somebody else. What did it cost you? It cost me my family. My parents wouldn't have anything to do with me. What did it cost you? Oh, it cost my reputation. There is a cost. Jesus said there'd be a cost. He said, nobody goes to war, but they first sit down and they see, do I have enough money to supply my soldiers, to buy the weapons I need? Nobody build a house, but they don't sit down and they count the cost, how much it's going to be. There is a cost to following Jesus. It will mean leaving. It will entail discomfort. It will require a new lifestyle. It will mean that your security will be in him rather than in the things of this earth. It will mean a new language, a new way of talking, You might say things like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory, and just shock every neighbor you have. It will mean a new identity. There will be an emotional cost, a physical cost, perhaps a financial cost, a social cost, cost of reputation. Not only that, but there's challenges to this call. In chapter 12, Abram is to claim the land of Canaan to to make altars in the land claimed by Baal. 
Do you realize that? He's going to go in and he's going to claim that land. And if you look at the places where he built the altar, you'll see that he was making a claim on the borders of Israel. And he's going in and he's building altars to God in the land of Baal. The life of faith that God was calling Abraham to promised great blessings, but it also had costs associated with it. God told Abraham to pack up and move, leave his country, his family, and his comforts. This meant sacrificing the security and stability he had experienced all his life to trust God to take him into a land unknown and unfamiliar. Abraham exercised faith and obeyed God. He believed God and the call he put before him. As we study the life of Abraham, we'll see his call fulfilled. Like Abraham, God has a call on our lives. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at the call of Abraham as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.